Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Poems for People Who Hate Poetry. And today, we're going to discuss the poem Death by John Donne. And I promise this is a very short poem. We're going to have a short little, you know, uh, discussion and a quick converse with verse. And then that's it. We're going to wrap up. I'm going to, it'll be under 20 minutes, I promise. And the poem is an interesting one. One thing I wanted to point out before we talked about it is one, I don't know that I completely understand everything in it myself. I'm not a master of this and I'm learning along with you. But the other thing is this, one of the things about poetry and literature and art is you can enjoy the sound, the rhythm, the, some of the messaging of a poem without actually, you know, agreeing with everything in the message of the poem. I don't agree exactly with the view of eternal, you know, eternal life and, and such in this, but I like his approach and his, uh, what Ayn Rand would call a sense of life, I think. And we'll, we'll kind of talk about that in a minute. But first, John Donne is a metaphysical poet. So you don't really need to know too much about what that means. But one thing that's interesting, I think, to you is that <laughs> he, um, if you remember from grade school, one of the things they would ask you in class is where, where is the setting? Like, what is the setting of this? And a lot of times with metaphysical poets, you can't figure out a setting because it's metaphysical. It's outside of the physics. Like it's a different, they're talking about some other realm in some sort. And, you know, they're doing it in a, oftentimes they seem to, my limited knowledge of the metaphysical poets, they seem to almost do it in a, a playful, playful manner. So anyway, um, I wanted to, let me read this poem real quick. Let me pop it up here. I'm going to read this poem and then we'll go through it, uh, you know, line by line. As you can see, this is all there is to it. It's a very short poem. Okay. So this is a, a holy sonnet. So this is just to let you know, this was, um, I think in the 16, early 1600s, John Donne is 1572 to 1621, 31. And, um, so, you know, it's, a long time ago. So one of the things you're going to notice, and this is, I don't want this to be a barrier to you enjoying playful poems from hundreds of years ago, because I think there's a bit of playfulness going on in this poem. And um, I think there's fun in that, in the use of words. But one barrier for all of us is how they use words and even the grammar, because over time, language changes, right? Like the word, when Shakespeare, which is not, which is basically Don, uh, John Donne's time, when he was using the word silly, it wasn't, it had nothing to do with what we think of as, oh, how silly is he? It's, you know, almost had something to do, I think, with uh, saintliness to some degree, like a kind of ephemeral, you know, other than outside of the plane, it, kind of a higher uh, feeling to it. So, so language changes. Okay. But anyway, I'll kind of decipher the, the language in a minute for you to the best of my ability. But you know, just remember that these and thous basically means you. That's all, pretty much all it means. And that's really all you need. I think there's not a lot of complicated words. You know, most of the words are, you know, nor yet canst thou. You can't, you know, you can't kill me. So it's kind of a weird phrasing, but you can figure it out if you stop it for a second. Okay. Death, be not proud, though some have called thee mighty and dreadful, for thou art not so. <laughs> For those whom thou thinkest thou dost overthrow, die not, poor death, nor yet canst thou kill me. 
from rest and sleep, which but thy pictures be, much pleasure. Then from thee much more must flow, and soonest our best men with thee do go, rest of their bones and souls delivery. Thou art slave to fate, chance, kings, and desperate men, and dost with poison, war, and sickness dwell. And poppy or charms can make us sleep as well. And better than thy stroke, why swell'st thou then? One short sleep past, we wake eternally, and death shall be no more. Death, thou shalt die. Okay, so I know there's a couple words in there that you probably didn't know. You know, poppy or charms, just FYI. Poppy in this context is referring to a drug and charms, you know, kind of a concoction like that you could drink that basically just think of things that can make you go to sleep, essentially. So we'll talk a little bit about that now or in a second here. Uh, let's see, were there other words? I think that's about it. If you have other words, let me know up here on the live chat. And, but I think it's all pretty simple. Okay. So death be not proud. So this first line, death be not proud, though some have called thee mighty and dreadful for thou art not so. So just to untangle that, it's not as complicated as you think. I mean, it's, it, it reads kind of what you probably think it is. He's saying, don't be proud death. You know, it's like somebody who's really proud of their accomplishments. They're so amazing. I mean, think about if death is a thing, a creature, a person, a reaper, and he's going around and he's actually succeeding in his uh, craft. You know, like I'm a baseball player and I can, you know, you want to do a, a counter of how many you know, home runs I've hit. And you say, okay, look at the back, back of his baseball card. He's got, you know, 400 home runs or whatever. That's a good, you know, he has had a good couple seasons there. Well, death has been around for a long time. He has a lot to be proud of. He's cut trillions of people. Like who knows how many people have been on the earth so far. And so, you know, death is kind of walking around cocky. Oh, look at me. I'm proud. <laughs> and uh, this John Donne, this metaphysical poet is saying, don't be proud, fool. Some people may be afraid of you. They may think that you're dreadful. They may think that you're mighty, but you're not. You're nothing. You're a pipsqueak. You're in the minor leagues, fool. <laughs> and then he says, for those whom thou thinkest thou dost overthrow, die not. Ah, poor death. Nor yet canst thou kill me. Now he's this um this is classic sonnet form is he's setting up a a situation don't be proud death he's talking to death and he's saying don't don't get out knock you off your pedestal fool don't be proud you ass <laughs> and then he's basically going through and giving the reasons in poetic form so it's it kind of sounds like a discussion which a lot of metaphysical poets sound like for those whom thou thinkest thou dost overthrow so for the the people that you thought that you overthrew i mean death hey death you've been around for a long ass time right dude okay you think that you've been you know killing all these people you think that you killed achilles you didn't kill achilles you didn't kill anybody great in history you've never done anything you know, the people that you think you overthrow, they don't die, poor death. Nor can thou kill me. So you have no power over me, right? Okay. So that's, I think that's kind of what he's saying is that you don't really have power over me. From rest and sleep, which but thy pictures be. So I think he's saying there, uh, essentially, you know, you, you're the pictures or when when we think of you is how I, I could be wrong on interpreting it that way. 
But basically what I, what I see when he's saying from rest and sleep is all you're doing for us is bringing us to, you know, putting us to sleep. We're just going to go to sleep for a little while, which but thy pictures be much pleasure. Then from thee much more must flow, and soonest our best men uh, with thee do go, rest of their bones and souls delivery. Now, by the way, one of the great fun things about poetry is wordplay. And if you caught it, souls delivery. I mean, so we're talking about death. Well, what's the opposite of death? Birth. Well, how do you become born? You're delivered, right? So and it, there's kind of, I think, a play on that. Although... I don't know if in the 15, 1600s they used the term delivery to deliver a baby, but maybe they did. Okay. But anyway, um, I think he's basically jabbing at death here. He's making fun of death from rest and sleep, which but thy pictures be much pleasure. So it's, he's saying, you're just putting us to sleep and we're just having a good time. I mean, I've been tired. I've worked hard. You know, when you go to war and you fight really hard and you're working really hard or you, you know, you're a peasant and you're working your entire life, you're exhausted. You know what? All right, you you put us to sleep, great. It's a pleasure to go to sleep after a long day's work. And you put the best men, they go to sleep too, and they rest their bones and you deliver their soul. Okay, now here he's really going to attack this foe, this death guy. Thou art slave to fate, chance, kings, and desperate men, and dost with poison, war, and sickness dwell. And poppy or charms can make us sleep as well, and better than thy stroke. Why swellst thou then? So, you know, thou art, you are, art is, are, you are slave. You are slave to fate, to chance, to kings and desperate men. So in other words, Dawn is saying that death, who is brought up as this proud, mighty creature, this reaper with the, you know, hood over his head and his, you know, he's got his uh, scythe with him, that that guy is really just impotent. Because people just die. He doesn't do anything. So death as an entity, you know, he's um, he's creating an a entity from death. Death as an entity has no actual power. There's not. So if you put the concept of death into a human form, you anthropomorphize it, and it's this creature, right, with the reaper and everything. And it's he's a poor little. Cretan, he doesn't really, he's just a slave to fate, to kings, to desperate men. And now why, think about what he, he means by those things. So fate is the actual death. Chance, you know, getting hit in the head with a rock is actually death. Kings, they put people to death or they, you know, command armies and lots of people die. Or desperate men, you know, if you need to go get some food, you break into someone's house and you kill them on accident. Like, Desperate men, these are the real powerful creatures. They are the ones who are representative of death. Death itself, he's saying, I think, is irrelevant. So don't be afraid of death. And he says, and or really, I think the tone is pity death. And all oh, you're just a slave of these other things that have autonomy. And Dost, you know, and uh, basically he's going to say here, and Dost with poison, war, and sickness dwell. So, and you have to lay with poison and war and sickness because that's where death dwells. Death hangs out with sickness. Ugh. What kind of a existence is that? I didn't want to say life. What kind of existence is that? And popular charms can make us sleep as well. So he's saying, again, drugs or concoctions like a potion or something, that can make us sleep just as well as you can make us sleep. So we can die that way or we can just go to sleep. I mean, what's the difference? And better than my stroke, 
why swellst thou? And I like the swellst because he's saying why swell it? You know, like swelling yourself up, but also, you know, like if you have the imagery of him, you know, putting like ticker marks on his bedpost, like all the women he slept with, all the people he's killed, right? And why swellst thou then? You don't get to count any of these people. They're, none of them are yours. Okay, and then the last one, last um, little two sentence or sentence here, two lines. One short sleep past, we take eternally, and death shall be no more. Death thou shalt die. Now that's a really, to me, that's a a, a very interesting way of looking at death. Is that death shall die? Now, I don't agree with this poem obviously, as I'm an atheist, and part of what he's implying here is um, that we're, you know, let me back up. One thing you have to understand about this theology of Christianity is, especially during John Donne's time, not, I don't think as much in our own time, but in his time, the Christian theological viewpoint was that you would die, you would basically be asleep or maybe in purgatory, depending on the, well, if you have I'm not an expert on this, but basically you'd go to sleep. And then when the second coming happened, then you would come and God would take you away. And that's what he's saying here. So there's a view of, you know, if you're a Christian. The idea is that you're going to go to sleep and then you're going to be taken care of by God eventually. And it may be, a, you know, thousands of years before God, you know, before Jesus or the sun, whatever comes down and, and, you know, has the second coming. But it doesn't matter because it's eternity. So it's really to you. It's you're asleep. It's a blink. And then you're going to be, you're going to rise up and death shall be no more because you're going to be in the deathless plane. And I recommend if you're interested in this, I've been doing a series every Sunday called Sunday morning poetry, where we really go into more depth of this idea that death is the mother of beauty, which I really like. It's from uh, Wallace Stevens, the poet Wallace Stevens. He did a poem called Sunday morning death is the mother of beauty. And one of the ways that the, the atheist view or the humanist view is that this is the only life we get and that's actually a good thing. And death is, you know, it's a value in the sense that it is part of existence. And if everything was ageless, there would be no beauty. There would be, because, you know, part of what makes something beautiful is the fact that we know that there's a snippet of time, which is its ideal perfect moment. If there was everything was like that, there would ha- be no contrast contrast for which us for which we could measure beauty or even understand or achieve beauty. So one short sleep past, we wake eternally, and death shall be no more. Death, you shall die. And I I think that's an interesting way of putting it because this poem is called Death, or I think it's just actually Holy Sonnet Ten to be fair, uh, but you know the first line is Death shall not be proud, so be not proud. So one thing about poetry and why I always tell people to read more of it, and even if you don't agree with it, even if you're not sure what it means, it's what I call, um, I'm trying to think of how to phrase this. When you're reading poetry, you're organizing your experiences, your emotions, your thoughts, your past, your present. One of the things that, poetry and art in general does really well is it's a grand grand organizer and you may think well what is why is that important why would i care if i need to organize something like what's the point of organizing anything well 
the the biggest reason I would say that you want to organize things is that when you are trying to parse out and understand something that's happening to you, let's say you've been diagnosed with cancer, it's, you know, and that's a harsh thing that I've never experienced, but even on a small scale of, you know, you deal with a breakup or you are inundated with work and you don't know what to do, or you're just stressed out and you don't know why. We're often, you know, there's a flood of emotions and thoughts and resentments, and we don't know how to parse them out and think about them individually. And poetry really helps you to organize it, especially great poetry. And sonnets are really good for this because they're very structure, structured in a certain way on purpose, which is a good thing. Like we all think that's stupid, but you know, he's talking about here at the beginning, death be not proud. And he's setting up like, so it's, you, you think about it as he's talking to a person and then he, he's going to have a quick conclusion, which sums up in two lines, all the arguments that he's, he has. So he's been building to this and this means something. And then what, um, way I would think about it is that's how a thought comes into play is that you experience something in the world, you know, you're um, playing baseball and you lose the game and then you go out and you play again. You try to understand what happened and why that happened and what, what's good and bad about that. And how can you make sure it doesn't happen again? And the, then what you come to is you come to a new conclusion. You know, you kind of, or, or another way of thinking about this is you learn about the idea of love when you're a kid. You hear the word love. Okay. Well, as you grow up and get older, more ideas of love come into your, your, uh, your purview, right? And you start to get more details about love. Love changes a little bit. You have uncles now and cousins that you start to meet. And it's like, do you love them in the same way that you love your parents? And then you go, you go up and you get more concretes, more experiences and then you're a teenager. And then the whole idea of love fundamentally shifts for you completely different, right? Now you're in love with someone sexually and you don't even know, you don't understand the sexuality of it. And you don't know what's going on. It's a big, you're just a big raw mess of emotions and you just try to do whatever you can, whatever. And then, you know, then you get into like your twenties and your thirties and you fall in love again, married. And that's a different kind of love. It's still got the same kind of feeling as the love from your teenage and some similar things to your parents when you're five, but not exactly, you know, and then you're, you're 80 and you've been, you know, you have grandkids and you love your grandkids and they're, you know, uh, fiance different than you did with your girlfriend when you were 16. So my point is that that's true of a lot of concepts. And a lot of times we aren't very good at thinking about them and enjoying them to better degrees or, or parsing, you know, putting away ones that we don't want. And poetry really does that for us. So for instance, death is a concept that we, um, <clears throat> excuse me, that we experience like all the time, even in our modern world, we're not inundated with it, of course, it's, but it's around us. And we always know that it's there in some level. There's something that's always there in death. And, you know, it's always a possibility of fate, chance, kings, and desperate men. So when we're in that place, it's helpful to remember that, you know, we can have a different attitude toward death than 
completely collapsing and losing all of our hope. And that, I think, is one of the things that you can take away from this poem. Thank you.